So, Brian, how you doing today? Awesome. We had a great guest and, uh, you know, uh, Brent Neighbor joined us and helped shed some perspective that I think was uh, enlightening in that there's so much that's the same in terms of what he is challenged with in, in uh, higher education, technology leadership, uh, as uh, a lot of us who work in the private sector have had to, to wrestle with as well. Yeah, no, and this this was an interesting interview for me because I don't know anything from the higher education segment in technology other than when I went <laughs> went to right. college. Um, yeah. And you know, your experience is what registering for classes, and you know, someone gives you an email. <laughs> it's like right. um, it's not not anything more than that. But you know, it's kind of interesting to see that as we talk to people in all these different industries, the challenges are just kind of always the same, and it always just kind of comes down to leadership, right? It really does, you know, and something that resonated with me that Brett talked about uh, towards the end of our conversation today was uh, it, it really boils down to impediment management and continuous learning. And, you know, I mean, that could be true across any segment of either leadership, technology. I mean, you name it. It's uh, to me, that is uh, that's really what, you know, our um, flavor of problem solving is all about. Welcome to another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano, Washington, D.C. And today we're joined by special guest Brett Neighbor, who is the CIO of the University of Northern Colorado. So we're happy to welcome, uh, I think, our first guest that we've had that uh, is really operating in the technical domain in the higher education uh, field. So uh, interesting to uh, talk with you and explore some of the challenges that you may face that look a little bit different than what folks in the traditional uh, corporate world may be wrestling with. Great. I'm, I'm glad to glad to be here and I'm looking forward to uh, to talking. All right. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Well, give us a little bit of a background uh, about yourself, what led you into technology and, and how did that then uh, bridge into higher education? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, my, my background is kind of interesting. I, I had a really good earth science teacher when I was in high school, and I thought for sure that's that was the field I wanted to go into. And so I started out as a geologist. And my first two years in college, I studied, you know, earth sciences. And I thought, man, this is this is what I want to do. I love this stuff. And it was concrete and, the you know, there were rules. And I sort of understood how that all worked. And um, and about my junior year, I had to take a career services class and I had to look at all the people in the field and what they were doing. And at the time, unlike probably now, um, all of those geologists were in between jobs and they were trying to find work and they were traveling all over and going to remote places. And, and I recognized that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And about that time, I saw a position had opened up in our, at, the, at the university for someone basically taking care of operations, just loading tapes and doing various things on a, on a data platform. Mm -hmm. And so I applied for that job. I went in, uh, a guy had already come in and it, right before me and they had decided he was the person they were looking for and they hired him. And I was really disappointed. I said, you know, I, you know, I really want to do this job. And they said, well, this, this particular person's a student athlete and, and he might need some help. So, you know, if you want to work one or two hours, maybe you can work into something. Well, I did that and very quickly they needed more help. And so I covered that shift and I learned about everything I needed to do. And as I kind of, 
got used to things, I started to see what other people were doing. And I, and there was a guy who would cover a night shift all the time. And I said, well, I want to know, I want to know how to do what they're doing because my boss would, you know, I'd come in in the morning to cover a shift and he would have worked all night. And I said, surely there's something I could do to help. And, um, he eventually taught me how to cover that night shift. Well, then that turned into covering the night shift. And then I wanted to do some programming because I saw programmers. And so I quickly changed my major to, uh, to computer information systems and found that my problem solving, um, uh, desires were, were really met with, with getting into it. And so, you know, it was like you had a programming challenge and you could sit there for three hours and get stuck on something and then you could walk away and then it would click and you'd come back and you'd get it done in 10 minutes. And there was something about it that I really liked. And then I started to actually see the things I was learning in class actually happening at work. And so, um, you know, working as a student employee in an it department was wonderful. And I was studying, you know, it stuff, um, at night, you know, when I would get, when I would cover that night shift, and very quickly, um, they they gave me a programming project, and I put together something, and that went really well. And at the time, and this isn't all that long ago, uh, COBOL became really popular. Uh, it was, or not, didn't become popular, but it was it was what they were using, and I needed to learn it. And so, they taught me COBOL, and I had this new, you know, object-oriented programming, and I had COBOL, and I was able to sort of mix the two worlds together. And so, it it really was this perfect, you know, timing and, and marriage of of, of kind of older IT technology and new kind of um, object oriented. And, and, and even um, at, at the time thinking about doing things in a more agile, that was really starting to get popular. So they had the waterfall method and I was like, well, this agile, these sprints and stuff, and that was a new concept and it all really worked out. And so I've, I've been at UNC now for, um, well, if you count the student years, um, you know, 22 years. Wow. And, uh, wow. and, and, you know, kind of went up through the programming ranks and, uh, became an assistant director and then a director. And then, um, they did a nationwide search and I became the CIO. Uh, it'll be going on six years uh, ago. And so, um, along that way, I, I finished my bachelor's degree and then, then went back and got a master's degree in uh, educational technology. And, uh, and that's, that's how I got here. So, <laughs> Pretty interesting. I thought I would leave Greeley a long, long time ago. I grew up in this town where UNC is and thought for sure um, I would go off. And uh, here I am. Still in Greeley, so, uh, wow. It's been great. Well, that's, that is a fascinating journey. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you've gone a lot of places, even though you've stayed in one place. How's right. that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because you you work with people and then and then you become a supervisor. And so you have all of these relationships you built, but you built built them as a peer. And then when you become a supervisor, you know, that's a really interesting um, you know, thing to work through, you know, from the, the psychological impact or or you know, just trying to, you know, you've you've got a different type of relationship than when you just step in and you're the boss and you're, you know, and it's like, okay, well, this this person works for you. It's like, you know, I've always had this opportunity to be working with people. You know, they're not working for me. We're working together. And I think that's really helped me develop my leadership style because I never really, it's always, it's a, you know, a collective piece of work, you know. Um, and and you know, we like to we like to think we're, we're, we're kind of a weak matrix organization where we kind of use the resources we need. We kind of pull people in when we need them. And it's not really so hierarchical. I mean, there's certainly, you know, there's org charts and they're hierarchical and there's a president and a provost and, you know, there's the whole, whole organization. Um, but generally speaking, when you need that subject matter expert, you go to them and, and that's who you use. And so that, that can make things really productive. Um, and, and that can be some of the fun of higher education, not to mention that we can, 
I can also go for a run at lunch and run with a geologist or I can run <laughs> with, you know, and, you, have, you know, I can run into somebody in the hallway that's a chemist, you know, and, and yeah. it's, it's fun because you just, you, you're getting so many different types of, uh, of personalities and exposure to things and different ways of thinking about, um, you know, problem solving. That is cool. That is way different than I think what most of us experience in a more corporate environment. Um, yeah. I, I work with a lot of the same types of roles and types of people, <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> probably about only about half a dozen different, you know, uh, variations of, of roles in the organization that we're in. And so, uh, yeah, it doesn't have quite the, the swing of diversity that you just described. Yeah. Well, and it leads to, you know, I mean, different types of problem solving, you know, if they, think they need a piece of software, you know, an open source piece of software in a lab. And, and, you know, maybe we can't, you know, contractually find a common ground and, and they want to use that. I mean, we're, we're trying to, you know, solve problems um, on the fly for, for things like that. And then I think people also forget about, you know, universities are businesses. So, I mean, we have an HR system, we have a payroll system, we, you know, we uh, disperse financial aid to students. I mean, and so there's, you know, there's everything that a business normally has. And so the IT department really has a, has a lot of diversity just within itself, you know, cause you have people helping in the computer lab, but you also, I also have a, a programmer who's in charge of making sure the ACH files, you know, make it to the bank and people get paid. Um, and so, you know, you, you really have a, you have a lot of diversity in that respect too. And I think the people that stick around in higher education IT uh, it, it's, it's because you get such a variety of projects. I mean, you might be working on a VM, you know, some sort of, you know, project and then you you swing over and you're doing you know something completely different helping somebody with a grant maybe um and so there's there's you get a lot of different types of projects we very seldom have like that like kind of super specialist i mean there's places where it's it's sort of necessary like a database administrator or a network engineer you need that expertise um but a lot of other people they're general and, and sometimes it even leads to challenges when we're trying to figure out our organization because there's so many similar jobs even though they're in, they report to different people and so it's like, well, these things really are the same, but you report up through, you know, a different part of the organization. And so um, we're centralized, but we still have, you know, we almost have 70 employees um, in our IT department. So wow. um, again, there's a lot of diversity. So. Wow. That's a large group. Yeah. And how many of those are, are, are they all uh full-time employees or is it a mix of students and full-time? We, we do have students um, and we mix them in, you know, wherever their expertise. I mean, every once in a while we'll come across some students who have kind of a programming background and we'll try to plug them in, uh, in, in those kinds of jobs. Um, but we have, we also have the jobs that are, you know, sort of take care of a computer lab. They're, they're real passive kind of jobs. Um, you know, we really, we, we, we hire people um, a lot of times at our technical support center. So a lot of times they'll start on phones answering questions. And then if they, you know, if they want to continue to do that, you know, and, and what's interesting about that is those aren't IT people all the time. And we had, we've had people that were, you know, nursing majors and, and actually, you know, we get them in and they would start doing things. And then we'd find that they, they had a programming, you know, or they had some sort of like, you know, they had that logic base that IT people have. And you'd be like, are you sure you're, you want to be a nurse? Like, <laughs> we think, you know, you might, you might be really good at this job. And so it's really interesting in that respect too, is you get some people with different backgrounds, you know, we have communications majors was obviously, you know, are, are very helpful, but they, they get on and, uh, you know, and, and then sometimes we move them around and our uh, support services, like doing desktop support stuff, that's usually kind of the logical next step. But if they start wanting to, you know, script things and, you know, do some programming, then we sort of move them that direction. Or um, we even had, we had a student who had a kind of a database 
um, desire and they wanted to go into that. Well, for anyone who works in IT, hiring database administrators difficult and uh, we don't have you know significant pool in Greeley of database administrators. So when we have somebody who has an interest in that, we'll give them the training you know that they need and try to sort of grow our own. We talk about and and we've had a lot of success doing that. We have, I would say probably thirty to forty percent of our employees were students probably at one time, or at least you know went to school here. Um, and so yeah, it's that's that's kind of a fun pipeline to have. Um, we we rely on it heavily. I mean, I was an example of it, and uh, actually my. Um, two direct reports that are directors, um, they, they did the same thing. They kind of worked up through, through as a student. So um, that, that makes it, you know, that's, we all have this sort of vested interest. It's almost like we work for a co-op. It's like, we want, you know, we want this place to be successful. Um, and it, it kind of comes from growing up in the, in the organization. Uh, that's cool. So for listeners who aren't familiar with Colorado, tell, talk a little bit about the the size of Greeley and is UNC really sort of like the main employer uh, or what are the, what are the various yeah, so, types so, of the town? Yeah. So Greeley is a really interesting town. Um, it was largely a ag uh, town. It had a huge mat, meat packing plant. And so that was really what Greeley was, was known for. It was Monford at the time. Um, I think it then became ConAgra and now is um, some acronym I, I can't remember, but uh, that was really what, what the city was sort of built on. But UNC has been here since uh, the late 1800s and it was a, a teaching school. It was called the normal school. And, um, you know, it's, it's been here this, the whole time The Greeley's been here and it's always been an interesting relationship for the city. Um, in a lot of ways, I don't think really embraces the university, but it's been here and it's, a, it's, it, you know, 13,000 students is roughly what we have right now. Um, and when it's all said and done, about 3,000 employees, um, that's counting student employees. And that is, you know, it's a, it's a relatively large chunk of the population of Greeley. I think we're just a, a little bit over 100,000 people. Um, and we're one of the fastest growing cities right now, uh, mostly because of the oil business. So in the last... I would say probably four or five years, the oil business has just boomed. And Weld County is the largest county in Colorado. <laughs> and there are lots of places to put oil rigs. And, uh, and you see them because they're, it's, it's really taken over. And so um, the population is booming. Um, you know, restaurants are finally coming to town. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's our, the town's really growing. And the infrastructure, the, the road systems are, you know, are suffering. It's, it's hard to come in and out of Greeley now. It's become... Um, you know, very, very busy, uh, but it's, it's good too. And, and the oil business has brought in different types of people. So you have, you still have the agriculture piece of, of Greeley and now you have the oil piece and then you have the, you know, have UNC and then obviously the services um, for all these businesses um, are growing really fast too. So. Wow. So that's, um, you know, it almost sounds like when, when you describe this, it's like you're a lean startup, right? Yeah. You have so many people who do all kinds of things and help out in some capacity um, to try to help to make the team better. But um, I imagine because this is a world that I don't know um, managing, but what, what type of challenges are there when you bring on, you know, like a student employee? I mean, because that's not a traditional relationship where you'd have where it's um, a full-time employee, um, you know, where you're investing in them because they might stay here longer. It's just a, a different dynamic. So what, what type of challenges do you face with yeah. that? So it's trust. It's a lot of trust. I mean, the, the things that we might put in their hands, um, 
you know, it, it takes us a while to get to a place where we feel comfortable. So, you know, we take care of a lot of student information and that student information, you know, includes, um, you know, a lot of private data and, and trying to, you know, for, for somebody who's going to maybe go into the programming side, we have to have a lot of confidence that that person's going to handle that the right way. Um, they also, you know, they're interfacing with faculty members and they're, and they're coming in contact with, with a lot of information and, and seeing, you know, kind of behind the curtains of a lot of the, the, the business side of, of higher education. And so um, you can, you know, you, we get a really good opportunity to sort of try them out and, and, and mm -hmm. you know, working them through the support center, we can see, you know, how interested they actually are in it. You know, are they going to, are they going to show up on time? I mean, you have the same problems you have with any, um, employee who, who maybe is a little less mature, you know, are they going to show up to work on time all the time? And, you know, we get to work through all those problems. And then once we know that they're, they're committed and they want to do something, we start kind of handing them off, you know, more and more stuff. And we have some employees who, you know, are, are, who take on so much work and they, and they need help. And so, you know, if we can pair them up with a good student employee and that student employee can take offload some of the work, um, you know, that, that's a good opportunity for them and it works well for us. Um, you know, trying to have a good onboarding and, and try to educate the students and have, you know, documentation. I mean, that's, that is part of it. Um, you know, I, I think in some ways I wish we would, we would do better at that because obviously you have students coming on. Um, but a lot of times we really look for those students that are in their freshman or sophomore year, try to get them here, find out that they're good, and then we can keep them for two or three years. And then sometimes even longer than that, if it works out. So um, it's really building that trust up. And, you know, most of the time, you know, the student has some vested interest too. I mean, on their resume, you know, working with a enterprise team, you know, is a really good thing to have on the resume. And we had a couple of people, we have a chief information security officer that reports to me and um, he's done a really good job of, of hiring students. And those students are going off and getting great jobs because they're having all kinds of experience. You know, they're doing awareness campaigns or they're, you know, or they're, they're maybe, looking at the um, intrusion prevention system and, and, you know, looking at logs and doing some stuff that's like real life experience. And then they can go off into the, into the work field and, and jump right into a job where, where you, you needed some expertise or some experience. Um, so usually it's a, it's a good, it's a mutually beneficial relationship uh, most mm -hmm. of the time. Very cool. And, and, you know, it sounds like to me, you have a very diverse generational team, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you probably have a lot of, you know, a lot of college students are normally younger, not always, right? Um, some people decide to go to college yep. later in life. Uh, and, you know, the crazy word we hear lately is the M word, the millennial, right? Yep. And now we have Gen Z and we hear all these things that, you know, they just want to know what they're working for. They want to know, you know, <laughs> what they're doing that has a cause behind it. Right. What's the and motivation? And I always joke. I'm like, that's just what everybody wants, right? <laughs> it's not a millennial or a Gen Z thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, in your experience, you know, leading these multi-generational teams, um, you know, have you picked up any um, skills that you found are like must-haves in doing that or um, any good tidbits for other people to know? You know, I, it certainly is a difference. I mean, there's a difference in, in generations and expectations. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, that I had seen more recently was, you know, there was a little higher expectation when a student employee would start that they would get put on some, some really interesting projects. And, and as I was saying before, you know, there's sort of a trust element, right? It's like, you know, are you going to, mm -hmm. are you going to be here? Are you going to be a good employee? Can I trust you? Can you follow through? 
And, and you have to build that up and it doesn't just, it doesn't come in two weeks of, of coming to work on time. It comes in, you know, months of, of experiences and, and, and building that relationship up. And what I would find is that there was a, a lot more like, well, when are you going to give me that really cool project, to, that really cool web development project to work on? And, you know, frankly, I have full-time employees who want to do that. And that's the kind of thing that enriches their job. And so I can't just <laughs> offload all those interesting projects to the, the student employee who's, you know, maybe they're awesome, um, but, but there's sort of a balance there, right? And so it, it's setting some expectations, you know, for both parties and, and saying, you know, I'm going to need you to do some, some hard work, you know, up front, you know, I mean, there's, there's uh, students who have worked on the wiring committee and they're, you know, they're, they're wiring, um, wiring team, they're crawling through tunnels and, you know, you know, doing all kinds of really hard labor work. And, and sometimes that's how they, they sort of have to earn their, their way through. Um, they're not just going to mm-hmm. get to sit down and start programming the firewall. <laughs> uh, that's what they think. They, that's what they think they should have. And so it, it's really setting expectations and, and, and trying to make sure that they, they understand that. And, and, and some of them don't, you know, we had a project where I had a student who we had lost some information. We had some corrupted files and we basically needed like 10,000, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, it's some sort of student information. We needed them re-scanned in. And so I said, mm-hmm. I know this isn't what you want, but I need you to scan 10,000 things in and index them. And, you know, he kind of took it and walked out of the room. And then, you know, the <laughs> next day he came in and he said, this isn't what I came to this isn't what I was planning on working on. This isn't what I wanted to do. I said, well, sometimes this is the kind of stuff you would have to do. And then, you know, once, once something else comes along, we'll, we'll give it to you. And he was so dis- disappointed about that. And he, he was upset and we eventually decided, well, then you need to move along. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's what happens. So, you know, I, I think with any employee, whether it's a, a younger employee um, or, or somebody who's, who's been in the field, I think it's, it's communication, it's expectations, uh, you know, having a good open line of communication, um, you know, trying to, you know, share as much information as you can to, to, to help them, you know, be successful. You know, it's always the, the Simon Sinek why. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. and you can't beat that, right? I mean, that's, that's the nope. one piece of, that's the rock. If you can build that, and, and most of the time you should be able to do that, um, then they should come along and, 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 and be able to help you out. Now, that's a great universal truth there for, you know, any industry that you're working in with technology. Um, in particular, I think the, you know, mental preparedness that, uh, it, I mean, Nick and I were just joking about this uh, podcast we were on earlier this week where, you know, Nick's changed his uh, job title to janitor on, on LinkedIn. But you know, <laughs> it, there, there is, I have, yes. There is this tendency, you know, for uh, a very custodial expectation of folks who are in tech. And so sometimes you end up with things that come across your desk where you really find yourself questioning what in the world is somebody thinking that this is actually my responsibility. But absolutely, you start to deconstruct, you know, it's it's what you hear, hear referred to sometimes as the curse of competency, right? You've proven yourself so many different times that folks just have the confidence that you can actually get it done. And, you know, it, it tends to be the the nastier, the wet cleanup, the more likely it is it's going to land in IT, right? <laughs> That's true. And even, you know, even within IT, I mean, I, I see this get carried out a lot. It's, yeah, the, the better you are, the more you take on. And, and, and then the, the problem is on the other side of it is, 
you know, when you're not doing a good job and you're not competent and, and, and these things aren't happening, we start taking things away from those people. And, mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate because, you know, how do you build that balance? And I, I think that's probably one of the most challenging things I see is that, you know, the high performing employee is absolutely not only capable of doing more work, but you just, you naturally give them more work and more things that are, you know, high profile and, uh, you know, really trying to figure out how do you, how do you manage those expectations for those other folks who, you know, for one reason or another, aren't, aren't as successful, you know, is it, is it training? Is it, you know, what, what is it that you need to sort of help them with? And sometimes they're just, just not as motivated, right? I mean, it's just, you could try Mm -hmm. to find that motivation, but some people, you know, they want to clock in, clock out and, and go home and they're, and they're content with that. I mean, I've really found that in the IT field, you know, there are people and and there, you know, there used to be these traditional operations positions, you know, you'd open up a manual, it would say, this is what you need to do. And, you know, and you do these things and you do it in this order. And some people really like to do that. They come in and they would do that. And then their day would be over and they do it again the next day. And they were content with that. It's hard for me to imagine that because (laughs) I would go crazy. But but there really, there is a place for that. And I think in some respects in IT, you have some people who gravitate towards that. They want that work. And what happens is as technology starts to shift and that operations job, for instance, sort of dries up, what do you do with those folks? You know, now I need, you know, now the skill set that I'm looking for is, is, is more front facing and being able to communicate with the end user and, and gather needs and, 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 you know, really get to the bottom of a problem. I don't need a code cutter sitting in the back office, you know, just, you know, Mm -hmm. plugging away, coming up with brilliant code. Um, I just don't need that as often. And now I really need that person who is quick on their feet, you know, is, is thinking of, you know, problem solving and, and that sort of thing. And so some of those kind of traditional operation type IT folks, um, it, I think they're struggling. I think they're struggling to adapt. And, and I think that's, like I said, I think that's one of the challenges that, um, you know, we're faced with. And I, I don't think that's necessarily just a higher ed problem. I think oh, it's yeah. in IT altogether. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure what the solution is to that. I'm, I'm still learning. Yeah, I, I would say for me, that's that's even happening in the private sector, right? We saw it kind of started with email with things moving to the cloud and people were death holding on to their exchange servers. Yeah. I'm like, why do you want to manage that? That's <laughs> like nothing to like get your anxiety up than managing an exchange server. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. Um, and I think you touched on it very well is that, you know, as much as we want to say these soft skills, right? These emotional intelligence and everything, these are becoming more important, I feel like, in the technology field, even on on the lowest level, the tech support level, right? They're almost like customer service representatives frontline for for your IT department. They need to be able to talk to people when they're calling tech support. Normally they're frustrated with something (laughs) and the person on the other side needs to be helpful. Um, So, I mean, and especially you, you have students, you know, younger people who might not have worked in a job before. How do do you bring them along and kind of show them, you know, like some of these... um, emotional intelligence skills like you know like empathy and less listening active listening is there is there anything you like <laughs> yeah, yeah i know that's a loaded that's question a, well, but, that's a really tough one um, because... and especially for you because you you came up through at one time too from being the student all the way up to the cio so i feel like when you suggest things it comes with a little bit more clout to to people that are below you yeah they're willing to listen to you because you've done it you know, I, I struggle with this one because I, I often wonder if it is something you can train someone. You know, I, I think it's sort of an inherent characteristic that, that someone has. I think, I think if anything, you're sort of, I don't want to say weeding it out, but you're, 
you're sort of those people who have that skill set are excelling through the organization and the other ones aren't. And, and, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you can, you can do so much. I mean, you can try to teach someone how to communicate better. And, and I've, I've struggled with a few um, employees who, you know, it's like you, you need to get this message out to tell people that the system's down and, and, and the communication that goes out is, is so, so, <laughs> So direct and so technical that people don't they don't understand what what it really means and mm-hmm. i'm sure you guys know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. and then i can give it to someone else and it's like they write this this beautiful you know paragraph that that you know gives everybody this this sense of ease and 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 there's nothing that i could do to sort of teach that it just they just it just came to them right and so i don't know i don't i, I worry that that's not something you can absolutely train i mean you could definitely cultivate it Right. I mean, if you think somebody has that skill set, you could you could help them develop it and, and, and make it better. Right. You could give them some, mm-hmm. some training about how to how to communicate it better or, or you know, to put it in a certain format. Um, but but I don't know if you can take somebody who doesn't have it and and get them there. I mean, I, I think I've tried that a little bit and and it's it gets back to, you know, at some point you have to take some of your employees and go, this is the this is your strength and I'm going to use it as best I can. And I'm going to try to make mm-hmm. these other things that maybe could be better. I'm going to try to help you along, but I know that you're never going to be that thing. We got really excited about project management. This is a really good example of this. We got really, really excited about project management. Um, and I can say that I got excited about it too. And we thought, why can't everybody be a project manager? You've got, <laughs> you know, we could have 67 project managers, right? And so we started really kind of pushing that down into the organization saying everybody's going to follow this kind of kind of a PMI Kind of framework mm-hmm. had you know if they had a desire to do some agile that was fine too it's really that you were going to be project managers and we really started to kind of farm that out to people and lo and behold as may, maybe it's not a surprise to you not everybody's a project manager not everybody <laughs> yep. has to other people accountable you know it's you yeah. know some of us it just sort of comes natural it's like you have this objective it's got to be done in x amount of time and i'm going to come and see you when that's about when that time's about to come and, and people just didn't like to do it and they didn't like to hold people accountable. They didn't want to have these meetings every week where they had to talk to a bunch of people. And, and we really learned we had to kind of pull that back in and go. But the one thing it did for us, though, is when we pushed it out, we found out the people who did like to do it and kind of mm-hmm. held on to a few of those folks and said, OK, we're going to we're going to ask you to do more of this, because I think, you know, working across organization and, you know, if, if you're a network engineer, and, and most of the time we would do it more with kind of the senior management la- layer, you know, for them to reach across the organization and tell a database administrator that they've got to get something done by next Wednesday. Um, you know, I mean, everybody's nice to each other, but at the end of the day, you know, what's their priority really? You know, the database administrator is like, I already had a hundred things to do. And now this network engineer is asking me to get this thing done by a certain time. And, and it, I, what we found is that just, that didn't work that well. Right. And so you almost had to have a certain amount of leadership um, organizational hierarchy to, to, to have authority to get that thing done. And so that's where I feel like the kind of the weak matrix sort of falls down is that when you're, when you, when you're taxing resources that are already at capacity, um, they're going to, they're going to gravitate towards the thing that they like to do, the thing that they, their job, you know, if they're a database administrator, they're not going to go out of their way to sort of help this other project along. And so we've had to really tune that and, and try to, you know, we actually formed a project management office to sort of identify the resources and make sure they actually had enough time to help with the projects instead of just going, well, I have a project to do this thing and I need a DBA and this is the DBA I like to work with. And I'll just, you know, tap on their shoulder and get their time. It just doesn't work that way. Wow. You covered a lot of ground there. 
Um, I want to back up a couple of <laughs> you know, Well, it was a loaded question. So. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's great. It's great. I love it. Um, and great insights. You know, I appreciate you sharing all of those things. Uh, you know, you touched early on uh, on that um, more uh, customer facing sort of role where you've got someone that I would qualify as more of a, a business analyst type or a BSA. Um, and, you know, I, I think you know, so I, I got my master's degree uh, about 15 years ago, and mine is an interdisciplinary degree uh, between math and computer science, art and design, communications, right? And the intent at that time was really extending kind of what Steve Jobs talked about with that intersection of technology and liberal arts, right? That that's, that's that generalist kind of mentality where you're able to bring all those things together and navigate all of that. Um, it's interesting to me that you bring that up because uh, my current organization, we've had a lot of those types of conversations where that is exactly the role that is the most needed, particularly as we're trying to um, advance uh, how we're creating greater efficiencies for folks within our business units. Um, because you really need someone who can go out and just speak English and have, you know, good bedside manner with people who are trying to get work done and they're not going to speak in technical terms. But you have to also have the mindset where you understand how to interpret some of the things that are being told to you in sort of a requirements gathering exercise so that you can go back and then you can sit down with the technology team and, and really explain, you know, these are the things that they're looking for and they kind of need it in this way. And, you know, it's interesting that that kind of led into the project management uh, topic because I think, you know, to me that, that hybrid of uh, BSA and PM uh, has really become one of those crucial roles where, you know, now not only have you been able to gather all that information and share it between a couple of these different demographics, but you can also rapidly prototype some things and just say, you know, okay, go back to your end users. And it, is it kind of this, you know, is this what we're talking about? Is this, are we on the right track here? Uh, and be able to do those things in more iterative sprints so that it's not, all right, we heard you and we went and we built all this cool stuff. Isn't it great? And and the person at the desk is like, well, no, I, I just needed it to do this thing. <laughs> you know, you, you completely <laughs> misunderstood. Um, Sorry, that's not on the waterfall method. We'll get back to that when we go back to the beginning that's right. again. We'll see you in six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, you know, I, I find a lot of value. Um, you know, as a, a certified Scrum master myself, I mean, agility is one of those things that has been part of my process. And you know, part of what you touched on, Brett, that resonated with me is, you know, how do you find that right? Um, qualification for uh, the project manager type. Because, um, yeah, everyone everyone can manage projects. Now, how they're managing those projects, uh, you know, could be a bit speculative. Um, one, of, one of the uh, uh, folks that we helped sort of groom um, was someone who came from a systems administration background, um, but really had sort of a high EQ asked great diagnostic questions and was very organized. And you just see the interaction within the team. And it's, well, I know you're going to do that, but have, have you thought about the order of precedence in these things? And really that should happen first. And there's a dependency here. And, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, that is the project manager that, that we need. And they hadn't really ever thought about it, you know? So from a, a talent cultivation perspective, I'm kind of curious 
Um, you know, is that part of your approach? I mean, do you just kind of, you, you learn where the talent can be developed in a certain direction just by that, that kind of interaction and observation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we would see people on projects and they would have, they would have just like you described, they would just sort of see, this is the order that things need to happen. And, and they would sort of be able to sort of break things down and, and kind of decompose a problem in such a way that it was, it was either digestible or it was, you know, that you could kind of spin in both directions. You could explain it to the end user, but you could also go to the technical team and sort of describe what needed to happen. And, and I can think of one particular example where I had, I had someone like that. And very quickly we were like, Oh, we have a special person. We have a unicorn. We felt we've caught a unicorn and, um, <laughs> and we've got to do something about it. And, you know, the, the one, one thing I, get challenged with on these is you find a unicorn and then you, uh, you know, you either want to put a saddle on the unicorn or you want to, you know, or you want to give them a lot of things to take care of. And, and we found that, you know, we, we built a business analyst unit um, because we were having more and more needs in this direction. So, you know, trying to streamline something, trying to, you know, workflow it or, or just make it more efficient. We had a lot of work in that space and it wasn't necessarily you know, dictated by what technology it was. Like if it was part of the ERP, well, it was still sort of, you know, making the business process better. And so we had, a, we had, like I said, a unicorn and, and we put them in that position as a, as a manager and, and decided, you know, hopefully they will, they will bring along some people just like them and teach them, you know, that skill set. Again, it was a very natural thing. It was like, we identified it and we were like, well, this person has it. And we put him on that, um, on that team and, and he's done a wonderful job. And he really, he had that skill set, and he was able to, you know, jump into projects and, and find out, you know, here's what the problem is. And, and again, just sort of work with the end user and then also um, go back to the programming unit and say, here, this is what needs to happen. The challenge that we've run into with those business analyst type folks and, and they're, they're, they're project managers too, right? is that they get involved in these things and then they drive them to the finish line. And then we don't really have a good system to put them back into operations. The, so if they implement a, a project, now that piece of software, you know, is out and it's live, well, they're the subject matter expert and everybody wants to go back to them. Oh, and yeah. They're wonderful to work with. The end users love those unicorns and, you know, they, they think that they're the, the best person in the world and, they don't want you to hand that project off to somebody else. And so now that business analyst unit for us has too many, too many systems to maintain. And so we're really working on kind of farming that work back out. But that, that was one of those things. It's like you get those business analysts involved and they very quickly understand the business element of the, of the system and the technical element. You know, they understand the data feed behind the scenes that makes it all work. And then they also understand, oh, well, this, this particular thing happens this time of year. You know, and so they just, they just understand all those pieces and how they go together. It's invaluable. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could, I mean, the more of those we had, the more problems we could solve. I mean, it just, it's, it's, uh, it, but those people are rare, <laughs> very, very rare. Yeah. And I think that knowledge transfer that you just described, you know, it, it, it has its own methodology to it in order to be effective and it can take longer than, you know, probably what we think of in terms of typical project mop up. You know, you get to the yeah. end, you've completed delivery, your documentation's done, you know, you've transferred whatever, you know, maintenance and support needs to be aware of. Um, but all of those soft touch elements that you're describing, you know, it's it, it's yeah. sort of, you know, w what is the nature of this thing that is beyond just the technical components and how does that um, then get, you know, imbued in the knowledge transfer effectively? Um, 
part of part of where we've seen that uh, happen because you can't, you know, make someone over capacity. And, you know, now that you've created something cool, a little piece of your time goes away forever, right? <laughs> exactly. it, you, can't, <laughs> you can't really do that. And so, you know, typically what happens is that, you know, it's sort of a slow motion disentanglement over maybe a six or 12 month period. It's, it's a yeah. lot longer duration than you would kind of hope for. And um, in my experience, sometimes it's, you know, whatever the length of actually delivering the project was, it's kind of an equal part on the other side, you know, to yeah. let go of it. Um, and that can be tough, especially if you're a lean organization. Well, and a lot of times they don't make it easier for you. They don't want to let go of it. You know, they yeah. put all this time and energy into it and now they kind of want to retain it. And I think that's another, you know, challenge that we find is, you know, people hold on to those things, right? I mean, I, IT people, I think, have some inherent, you know, hoarding uh, characteristic, you know, and and they can't help themselves and they, you know, they put their time and energy and they're, I mean, IT people don't give up their stuff easy at all. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's their that's the thing that made them valuable. Right. And they, mm -hmm. they want to hold on to that. And that's a really hard thing to sort of untie, um, to, to, you know, to get someone to realize there are more things you can get involved in. I know you've taken care of this particular system, but now you've got to hand that off. You need to delegate it. I, I you know, we have a lot of working managers and the biggest challenge is, you know, their time is getting, you know, taken by these systems that they maintain because whatever happened, you know, it's an upgrade, it's, it's whatever they start spending time on that. And then it's taking away from the time that, you know, they should be developing their employees. Um, but it's nice to have a working manager too, because they can basically jump in that seat. I always talk about them as sort of co-pilots, right? It's like, you know, you want to have a co-pilot because if that pilot's gone, you know, they're going to be able to fly the plane. So you take a database administrating <laughs> administrator, you know, my, our manager of our database unit, he needs to be able to understand how all of those databases work, or at least log on to them and be able to do some amount of work. I can't have him just be a manager and just say, Hey, did that database get backed up last night or whatever? Um, they've got to really, they've got to kind of know how to do that job. So finding that balance of that working manager versus, you know, just strictly manager, um, that's, that's another, you know, fine line to, to, to travel. And those, those business analyst people are, are kind of good at all of those things, but they, I think they do sort of gravitate towards solving problems and solving problems. Isn't, it's not personnel problems often, you know, they want to solve technical problems. Okay. Delegation is always, always a tough thing for yeah. everybody. Right. <laughs> Especially as IT people, we, we kind of love our projects and then want to hold on to them. For me, I'm like, get this thing away from me. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. That comes <laughs> I with want time. to do something new and cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. Like I want to do something new and cool. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to manage this exchange server anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The ultimate so, is finding yourself increasingly useless because you've let go of so much that now all you have to do is be in upper management. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's that line that you cross and you, I remember thinking about it a lot when I, I was in a, in a certain position and, and the, the director came in and said, you know, I'm going to take away all of your admin access because every time I come in to see you, you're doing programming. And, and I, I remember going home that night and, and thinking, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to make the jump. I'm going to have to, mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to let those technical skills, you know, fall and I'm going to have to just hope that this management thing works out. <laughs> Six years in, I think you're doing okay. Yeah, so far so good. <laughs> I feel like with a good technology people, there's always that leap, right? You got to make the decision. Are you going to go into management 
Or, or are you going to stay down on the technical level and cut your technical chops um, either further into something, which some people are perfectly fine with that, not moving up any further than they are. And that's, you know, it's great. We need those people too. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we think about that a lot, you know, and, and, and thinking about how the IT industry is sort of evolving too. I mean, one of the things that I'm finding interesting is that those technical folks, I mean, you really like when you talk about pay, I mean, those technical folks in a lot of ways, you know, need more uh, funding than than maybe even your managers do. I mean, they they have a skill set mm-hmm. that's so unique, and and trying to sort of build that up because traditionally it's like, well, you want that next step, you know, we're going to make you a manager, right? I mean, we've, I think IT field talks about that a lot that you sort of get you rise to that level of incompetence, um, right? It's like you just keep getting moved <laughs> up until you're doing something that you're not good at, and you really have to be careful to do that. But a lot of times, in order to get people to pay to get them to stay, you find yourself doing that. And I think that's, that's something, you know, we're faced with. And I think the IT field generally sees that got to be really careful. Um, You also don't want to take your technical skill out of the workforce and make them a manager when they were really doing a lot of technical work. So um, that's an, that's another really tough challenge for sure. Mm -hmm. So, so how are you solving that challenge? Are are you like, uh, do you have like a mentoring program or anything to help identify, um, you know, these individuals who either want to move up or, or kind of want to stay in the technical role? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, I think we're really in touch with our staff and have, have kind of found where there's people who, you know, have a, a skill set and they want to continue to develop that. And they're not interested in management from, from my side of the house and being sort of the administrator of the unit. Um, it's trying to figure out if there are sort of steps in, in both directions, right? It's like, you know, if you're going to continue to build and, and, you know, let's, let's pick on a network engineer, if you're going to continue to get these Cisco certifications or whatever, you know, is there a path for you to continue to, to grow professionally and, and get, you know, and, and have us pay you appropriately and have you go down that road as opposed to, you know, you going down the manager side. And on the other end of the spectrum is, you know, if I have somebody who really wants to sort of, be a manager and wants to be in charge of doing things and maybe doing some project management, you know, do I have a path for them and, and trying to develop that. And, and for us working within the state classified system, for instance, um, there's a lot of things that get in our way. And so we have, you know, half of our staff is, is sort of a contract employee and the other half is a state classified employee. And, and so we have to really work through those rules, but it's something I spend a lot of time on and making sure that we're, we're, you know, in the right ballpark for pay and, and making sure that, um, you know, professional development is something that I think we, we in higher education um, do a relatively good job at because obviously we're seeing education all the time and we know what the value is. And there seems to be um, an inherent understanding that we need to make sure our IT folks have the, the professional development that they need. And then we make sure that people are, are using it. And so that's, that helps a bunch because we don't all, we, we, we can't be the highest paid employer. I mean, the, if, if people want to make more money, they can simply drive 60 miles to Denver. I mean, there's, there's, I have no competition for that. I, that's, that's the reality. I mean, they may have some more windshield time and they have to deal with that, but there are, there are opportunities in, in higher education and in just government jobs. They just don't pay as well as private generally speaking. And so there's a balance. And one of the things I think that we provide is, you know, flexible work, and professional development. So, um, you know, as far as the mentoring goes, getting back to your original question, um, you know, we, we've played around with some amalgamation teams where we put put people mm-hmm. with different skill sets together. And, and, and what I think we found was that they actually just like to get to know each other better 
Um, and occasionally they would find something that somebody was doing and they would, you know, maybe want to learn more about that and would give us some good cross training opportunities. Um, but we're going to try something actually this, this spring to have some level down meetings where we, we kind of mix in some of the managers with some of the um, staff lower in the organization and try to um, maybe develop some of those relationships. Um, we're always trying to find new ways to, to, to get involved and, and have those contact points. Very good stuff. I think constant contact's the key with that. Even if you don't have a mentoring program, right? Just walking around talking to your people. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. You, Brett, you clearly have a mind that's well suited for an academic environment. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you're you're one to keep up with for sure. Um, it's it's ironic that you and I had to run into each other in Arizona to be able to. Uh, come back and have a conversation in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was kind of actually exactly the reason I did something outside of higher education. I, I get involved in a lot of higher education conversations and I was finding that, you know, it's, we all had the same problems and we're complaining about the same things. And I was just, was starting to worry that, you know, I just didn't have enough, <laughs> you know, outside perspective. And, and that was really holding us back. And, um, you know, it, it, we all have the budget problems. We all generally work with the same vendors. And it was really good to go to that conference in particular, because I, I think it was helpful for me to see that everybody was sort of struggling with the ERP going to the cloud. I thought that we were kind of mm -hmm. behind, you know, and we were, and we were struggling to make that transition and trying to figure out what to do and how that was going to go on. And then kind of seeing all the private sector people having exactly the same problems. And <laughs> oh yeah. And all the times, same problem everywhere. Yeah. And many times <laughs> in a what much worse scale than, than I was worried yeah, right. about. And, I actually came away feeling better. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's good to get that fresh perspective. It's like when you're coding something, right? And you missed a semicolon and you didn't know you did that. And somebody walked by is like, oh, it doesn't work because of that. And you've been staring at it for three hours trying to figure it out, you know? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For me, it was usually, you know, I'd, I'd step away from something. Uh, and I literally, you know, you, you know, the phrase, you know, sleep on it. And I, I would yeah. go home, I wake up in the morning and it's like there's something funny that happens in the mind you know at night when you sleep and you dream and yep. suddenly this thing that you've been like challenged with all day you come back and it's like <laughs> yep. and then, that's where i found running kind of was it was i'd be out running and i'd be like i, I would have an you know not an infinite amount of time some some sort of set of time but i'd be out there and then i would realize i was sort of untying these knots in my brain and and i would come back and it'd be like oh Oh, this is easy. We can, we, you know, and it would give me a really good opportunity to sort of work through those problems. That's, uh, that's, I think sometimes my best work is while I'm running. Yeah. That sure. mental reset is, is absolutely necessary. And I think particularly for, um, you know, anyone who is, uh, faced with technical challenges working in the types of fields that we we've, we've all worked in, um, you have to have some kind of lane change uh, with the way that, you know, your, your mind is typically forced to think um, to sometimes, you know, get that mental reset so that you do have whatever that, that process is that sort of magically takes place and, and you come back with this completely fresh perspective, um, you know, and that's something that uh, uh, I, I think, 
you know, we hear a lot now about, you know, you need to get up and move around. You need to, you know, incorporate some kind of uh, physicality to what is normally just sitting at your desk all day. Uh, all of those things, I think, help contribute to, you know, this is part of the the necessary mental shift that has to take place, particularly when you're dealing in work that is primarily mental. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brett, go ahead. <laughs> Nick, saw what I was about to say. There. I was going to yeah. ask you, Brett. You know, we're we're, uh, we're getting close to the end of our time here. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about um, something inspirational to you uh, from you know whether it's a book publication, if it's a uh, a website, you know, if it's a piece of media, you know, what's what's something that has helped shape some of your leadership perspective, or something that you think would be beneficial to uh, some of the lead the uh, technical leaders of this, uh, program or listenership. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, obviously the Simon Sinek stuff is, is always a good, good place to go. You can't, you know, you can't, can't go wrong there. You know, I think it's, it's for me, it's, it's really getting a lot of different voices in my head and, and trying to, to find as many resources as I can and not to necessarily make it all about it, you know, leading about reading about leadership, you know, in other areas, you know, has, has really helped me. I, I actually listen to a lot of, um, books, um, when I run. And so that's been a really good way to, to hear more things. And, and I just, I feel like every time I, I hear a problem solved, you know, in another field that I can kind of bring that back and try to try to figure out, you know, there's another way to solve this problem. And um, I, I really just try to, to constantly absorb new things. And, you know, I think, you know, my background, some of the, the educational technology stuff of, of this idea of sort of scaffolding and, and trying to, you know, develop ideas and sort of build on them and, and try to, I think we would always talk about cognitive load. It was like, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to explain problems to people. And, and, you know, I, I'm finding that I'm not, you know, working on as many IT problems. I'm working on more organizational problems and it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's just a different audience and, and being able to sort of, you know, take that problem, you know, make it manageable so that other people can get involved and help you solve it and, and trying to break it down and, and make it, um, you know, decompose the problem and working with a lot of different areas that's, you know, it's, it's getting other ideas and it's, it's trying to integrate their ideas, but also, you know, just trying to find a way to, I don't know, um, work through, work through the problem, you know, in a, in a way that, you know, you have this achievable, you know, closure to the project, but you've got to find all of the, all of the things that are keeping, you know, they're getting in your way. It's kind of this impediment management, you know, and, and can you figure out, you know, what are all those things that are going to get in your way and kind of try to bring people along. And it's, it's been a really interesting, um, you know, year for me because I've been involved in some projects outside of it and, and, and it really, it isn't any different. I mean, you run into the same problems, it's just in different areas. And so I guess, I guess to, to your question, I mean, I think it's, it's continuously learning. It's continuously trying to find new things. I mean, I, I think about it as a tool belt. I, I'd gone back and gotten my Six Sigma. Well, when I came back from getting my black belt, I realized that, you know, this industrial, you know, procedural way of solving problems didn't, wasn't really applicable to higher education. I mean, I, I couldn't, you know, we don't have a manufacturing floor. <laughs> so, you know, I couldn't go down there and go, okay, we're going to make 12 widgets today instead of uh, 10 widgets. Um, Your Gamba lock, right? Right. And, um, but, but it was one more, you know, tool I had in my tool belt. It was one more way to solve problems. And, and I, you know, I took, a, took a few things away from that and said, okay, I'm going to try to try to use those. So 
I guess, yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's con continuous education. It's, it's continue to, to, you know, add things. And maybe it's not a leadership book. Maybe it's something completely different, but you know, what, what can you take from that and, and bring into work? And um, it's just amazing how, how many things, you know, you can pull from other places and go, this is actually applicable to the problem I'm trying to solve right now. Um, so I think it's just keeping your brain in that learning mode. Love it. It's like uh, what what our what our guest Peter Margaritas said. It, it, he always asks people. He's like, "Do you know what business you're in?" And people say, "Oh, we're in the technology business. We're in the accounting business. We're in you know the widget business." And he's like, "No, you're in the people business. <laughs> you just happen to work with technology or finance or whatever." Um, I think that's a great quote. You know, and it, it's pretty much what you were summing up right there. You're you're expanding your leadership skills because you're in the people business. Yeah. <laughs> so you're always learning. Well, that's a great place to cap it. So, Brad, if people are looking for you, um, where can they find you? Yeah, um, you know, I've been trying to get a little more involved on LinkedIn and uh, trying to put put some of my projects out there and and reach out and and kind of meet some people and build some connections that way. So that's that's been probably the best place professionally. Um, mm -hmm. I once in a while will will get active in Twitter, uh, but that's mostly with running stuff. So. As I told you mm -hmm. before, you know, I'm active runner and uh, kind of that's my uh, alter ego. Uh, so that's my kind of my getaway. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think, you know, LinkedIn, I've been trying to figure out how to use LinkedIn the right way. I mean, I get frustrated sometimes because I have probably 10 vendors, a, you know, a day try to connect with me and, and uh, you know, the, the softly veiled, you know, uh, I, I want to meet you, but it's really, you, you know, you want to sell something to me. Um, but I really do look for, you know, those professional connections, um, you know, the, yeah. you know, Brian was a great example, you know, we've, and that's how we sort of kept in touch uh, since we went to the conference. So I'm trying to, to use that as a, a place to, to, to build my network and, um, mm -hmm. you know, trying to, as best I can, go back <laughs> in there and, and add some content once in a while yeah. to, to kind of say, here, this is what I'm so working on. So I can on. tell you how I got into LinkedIn. <laughs> At first, I was like you. I'm like, I'm not on this thing. This is a thing for people to find me so they can sell me something. Right? I know they bought Sales Navigator and they just want to call me. Um, but but I somebody brought this great point to me. They're like, you know, they have this status thing. It's like, just search for what you, you're looking for by these hashtags like leadership or whatever and engage on content don't connect with anybody and then eventually you'll start getting connections people reaching out to you wanting to connect with you because you're engaging on their content um and and i've met all kinds of people that way yeah <laughs> just by engaging that way like the other day i just did you know a zoom meeting with a guy who's a personal trainer uh, of movement doctor or whatever um for shoulders and knees just be, all because of conversation on linkedin <laughs> yeah um so i mean there's just all kinds of stuff like that that's my only advice to you you know like Go specifically search for the content you want to see and engage, and then you'll get an idea what what you want to share and what you want to do on there. That's great. Yep. Yeah, Nick's also uh, it kind of takes an opposite approach for me and accepts every connection request. <laughs> I do. Yeah, Good you know, you. I, I can't tell you how many times I've. Um, you know, been asked to buy Bitcoin for somebody because they're out of the country. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> got to do that every hey, time. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like you know this lowly look out for janitor coin. It's coming. So <laughs> yeah, yep. ICO, but um, yeah, that, that's just my advice. You don't have to accept every every connection request, um, like me. But you know, just get on there and engage with people and talk about things you want to talk about, and naturally, people will gravitate towards you. Yeah, that's great advice. Yep. Brett, it's been great having you on the program today. Really appreciate your time, your insight, your brain power. Uh, you've really contributed a lot. So thank you so much for, for being our guest. 
Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on here. Sure. All right.